Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to Ed Up on the Ed Up Experience podcast, where we make education your business here again, recording live at the World Innovation Summit for Education in Doha, Qatar. What an honor to be here. I have talked to some of the most amazing people today. Another amazing person is in front of me. Um, she's going to tell us everything that we didn't find out earlier today from all the guests we had on previously, and she has a lot of data behind her. Um, here she comes, um, and I'm gonna I gotta get I gotta get the uh, organization title right. And let me move let me move over here. Ready? Here it comes. Here she is, Dr. Tracy Burns, and she is the Chief of Research Center for Educational Research and Innovation at the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Whew. Did I get that right, Tracy? You, you got it absolutely right. Oh my gosh. I, that was the hardest thing I had to do all day and I haven't had that much sleep, so I'm glad <laughs> I nailed it. So, okay, so tell me about your role. Tell me about what you do as the Chief of Research. I think I have a good idea of what you do. You research, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the Center for Educational Research and Innovation. First of all, what is the Center, Center for Educational Research and Innovation and what role do you play? So the uh, OECD has a forum for uh, 35 plus countries and it has departments. So we have a directorate of education and our center is part of that directorate. Um, its aim is to sort of work with building research and the evidence base needed to sort of push policy and practice and really sort of ask questions and incubate new ideas and push the innovation piece. All right. So as the chief of research, you are... Um, you are taking what's been done. Are you taking what's been done and researching its effectiveness and creating data on outcomes and re uh, pushing resources out to new programs and so on in your focuses in education, right? If, if, if that's a big focus of yours. Mm -hmm. So um, talk about the pipeline. Are we talking about um, researching zero to 18? Are we talking about 18 to 100? Where do you focus your time? So our center actually covers the entire span. We've got work on young kids, 21st century children, that's starting zero to 18. We've got work on uh, measuring social and emotional skills in 10-year-olds and 15-year-olds. We've got work on creativity and critical thinking in higher education. We've got work on measuring the potential impact of AI on the future of jobs and work. Whoa, uh, that's and then, a good one. Yep, and also thinking through what does education look like in sort of the 20 year time frame and in that case what are we talking about when we're thinking not just of students as we think of them now but 65 year olds 75 year olds 85 year olds and just rethinking that whole thing and challenging our data systems little mm -hmm. self-criticism here mm -hmm. our data systems go you know zero to ten ten to you know we have all these sections of age and then you hit 65 plus what happens after there's a lot does of anybody people in that Does box. anybody care? <laughs> now we do because of COVID, but once you hit 65, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in the next 50 years, we're expecting a lot of people to be in that box. And yes. so you do care. Yep. And so then there's a question. Okay, we need to think about that. And then let's chunk it up a bit more and let's find out what we have for 75-year-olds and 85-year-olds. Um, wow. So this is the, I'm a little nerdy, so I get excited about these questions. Me too. Wow. Wow. That, that is a wow. So, um, so you, let's talk about AI and the future of work a little bit, mm -hmm. because I, I think, you know, from our audience, you talk about higher ed, you're talking about higher ed administrators, faculty, staff, people who are experimenting with AI understand that we need to integrate AI in what we do in the higher education pipeline 
for the future of work. And then on the other side, we have so many people from business and industry that listen to this podcast that either are or will experience AI. What is the future of AI? In because I've been interviewing all these people and nobody ever brings me an answer, Tracy. And I'm glad you have it. So tell me, what's yeah, the answer? Yeah, I, I, I may have overpromised. Um, <laughs> we're researchers, remember? We That's just, right. we just, we always need more time. Um, no. So what the project is is actually, I mean, there's a lot of hyperbole around AI, right? So right. there's people who are terrified of it, and there's people who are sure that it's going to solve all of our problems. What we don't have is a very good understanding of what are the actual granular capacities of AI systems in specific skills, sort of mathematics, critical thinking, problem solving, you know, language, those things, and what will they look like in five and ten years' time? Right. So our research, this particular project, is actually bringing together a group of world-renowned experts to sit, we have a measure of adult competencies, a series of literally items where you you ask, can you do this as an adult? And they ask these experts, can AI do this now? Hmm. What about in five years? What about in 10 years? And so it's trying to understand the real evolution of AI potential and skill sets and what that means for the future of work. Hmm. That's interesting that you chunk it up in that way. Is this something that you can, you know, five years now, from 10 years? And, and what about colleges and i look at that and, and what about zero to 18 that you talked about the the you know primary education years we're all going to experience some level of ai eventually online learning happens to be the first foray into tech you know the pandemic created it but everybody's adopting online learning to some degree what comes after that what's the next iteration we hear uh, web 3.0, what the heck is that? What's metaverse? I don't know. I don't know what the heck is that. All of these terms and, and ideas are being thrown around. But when you get to practical application of those things, that's a real learning curve like you're talking about. There's, it's, there is so much hyperbole around it. What It's fear. It's adoption. It's, you know, so how do you distill all of those ideas down to something that we understand in education? Well, and, that, and that's why, I mean, this is obviously I'm going to support the research piece, given my hat. But this is why it's important, because you have to go beyond the hyperbole, right? And you need, there's a lot of hope for AI. There's a, there's a lot of fear. Uh, and there are reasons to be worried, and there are reasons to be hopeful. Um, but there's also a lot of sort of people sort of, you know, this understanding that the, there was a 50 years of AI, in fact. And then there was a lot of push for AI, and then there was what was called an AI winter. Because, in mm. fact, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, it didn't deliver when people thought it was going to deliver. And one of the worries now is, in fact, there's so much hype that it, that it might be another AI winter in the sense that if people's hopes are deceived, they end up not following through on what they thought they were going to follow through on. I personally, I personally think that because of the pandemic and because of what we've seen, we're seeing a lot more machine learning. Whether AI will really live up to the, the imagination that we have for it is not clear. But we will absolutely see much more digital technology integrated in our learning systems from really young ages. We're seeing it in early childhood care as well as higher education all the way through. And then we have some really serious questions to ask about what does that mean for teaching and learning and then skilling and reskilling. So let's talk the future of education a little bit. What is the future of education? What does it look like? What? How are we going to experience it in the future, given all these things and these areas that you're researching? Because, you know, it's funny because research is a way to predict the future, even though 
it could be researching the past, right? You have to know where you've been, what historical mm -hmm. performance, what's the saying? Historical performance is the best predictor of future performance. You innovate from research. What, where do we go from here? Uh, especially when you add a pandemic on top of everything. Yeah. I mean, I, we've done a lot of work on the future of education. And, and one of the things we've done is we look at thinking about the past, so what has happened in the past, trends from the past, and we kind of project them into the future, right? Mm -hmm. So the big thing is front-end model of education. We start in the early years, and we've got longer and longer amounts of our life spent in education. So tertiary education, more and more people are in that post-secondary. Right. What we're seeing now is that that's a great start. We can imagine what that might mean. But education is not living on its own. It's, it's not in its own silo. It's affected by everything else that's happening. So one of the things we do is we look at not just trends in education, but the trends shaping education, economic mm. trends, political trends, sociological trends, technological trends. And what will those changes have and what will that mean for the future of education? That's one thing that we do. Second I thing like we that do, lens a lot. That yeah, you, yeah. It's awesome, actually. I mean, it, it does mean also you get to look at super cool research and super cool fields. Well, it's, the, it's the outside in versus yeah. the inside out, that right? So yeah. if you're looking at everything that shapes education, you, you come to a different understanding than if you're in education and in higher education and go, well, how do we change? You don't necessarily have the full perspective of everything that's going on around you. That's absolutely right. And I, and I think it's really fundamental, actually, because if you're, let's take higher education, right? You think of it from a labor market perspective, maybe, or you can think of it as sort of a personal, I'm going to higher education because I have personal goals. And, right. Well, have we connected that to what we expect to see with climate change? Have we kept connected that to globalization and economic debt or increasing inequality? Have we connected that to aging populations? I mean, these seem kind of like perhaps really esoteric kind of questions, but when you look at systems and on the system level, these things actually become really important. And that's, and, and this is why this conversation is actually really interesting also for our interlocutors, because they rarely take the time to do that. Right. And, and you have to bring expertise from all these different sectors to bear, which is, which is really hard to do, actually. So that's, well, that's one of the things we do. The other thing we do is we have created scenarios for the future of education mm. where we sort of pitch alternate fu futures. Okay, what, now you're talking my language. Yeah. You're speaking my language. What if, right? Yeah. And we've got four different scenarios, and we kind of push people. What if schools don't even exist? What if higher education institutions are just gone? Or what if everything stays the same? Like these are the polar opposites, mm -hmm. but then there's other ways of thinking about it. And pushing people to do that allows you to not just imagine from the past into the future, but it helps you imagine things that you might not see coming, unexpected things. Yes. And this is the shock piece, because that's what the pandemic was. Hmm. Right. Yeah, and it was an unexpected piece that no one or many, uh, many educational institutions across the spectrum were not ready for. Absolutely. If you had kids who had to uh, be taught in a virtual environment because of the pandemic, you certainly were not ready for that as a parent. I can guarantee you uh, that. I can guarantee you that there's not a parent walking by around here that would go, oh, yeah, I'd love to have my kids working from home completely. Maybe there's a few, but not the majority, um, especially if they find an Iron Man mask and end up on a Zoom, as my kids did for a little while. Um, what is the 21st century child? And, I mean, I get what that means, right? If you look at it from a, from liter a literal standpoint, you know, 21st century, as a child, you know, whatever. But what is the 21st century child? 
Well, it turns out, so one that we actually do some work on this and it, we look at sort of what are the trends in physical health, emotional well-being, the digital technology piece, because that's, that's the big change. Let's right. face it, you've got the digital. That's what's changed in the last 20 years, the biggest mm -hmm. change. We've got relationships. Relationships have not changed that much. People still value their friends the same way. People still value strong relationships with parents the same way. That's pretty steady. What we see if we look at the other pieces, the emotional well-being piece, is from increasingly younger ages, you have kids reporting more anxiety, more stress, more mental health conditions. For the last 20 years, I mean, this isn't, this isn't that new. And on the physical health point of view, for the last 30, 40 years, you've got more obesity, right. less sleep, uh, less, you know, less healthy eating. A lot of factors that working together mean that our kids and, and young adults are increasingly less physically uh, healthy than they than they were, say, 30 years ago. And this is concerning because, in fact, on average, our countries are much richer. Right. And so, in theory, we should all be healthier and happier and all these things, right? So how do you reconcile those kinds of things? Hmm. That's that's interesting, and i I think a lot of I think a lot of people would be interested to know how you, um, you know, as you as as a director of research, you look at this and say, um, a child is less healthy. What needs to happen to make this child more healthy? And is there scenario planning there? When you've run scenarios on what the future of higher education looks like, do you run scenarios on what the future of health looks like or the future of healthy well-being or mental well-being or physical health, mental health? How do you predict the future for humans, so to speak? Yeah, well, I mean, and, and one of the things we try not to do is predict the future because... Oh, I was hoping sorry. that you would give me the future at this point. <laughs> I've been looking for somebody, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, we used to have to explain that you couldn't predict the future and then COVID happened. Right. Now we don't need to explain that anymore. So all you can do is kind of prepare for a shock. Prepare, do what you can do, do the best you can, but know that you might need to react quickly and know that you need to be prepared to react quickly. So what we do, and we absolutely work on this with our experts in health and, and sort of psychology and all the other domains, because again, this is not education in its own little bubble. Right. So we work with them to say, okay, what are some different ways this can evolve? And what are the best evidence-based ways that we know of to deliver good services, to support kids, to support young adults, to make them sort of give them the best chance in life? And how can we design systems that will do that? How do you think uh, somebody in your role as a chief of research will look on the pandemic 10 years from now? Is it a blip, you know, or 20 years from now? Is it an anomaly that existed, you know? And you think about other things that have happened, like a world war where you've seen, you know, hundreds of thousands of people die. And you know that over this four to six year period, there was war and that caused all these problems. Is the pandemic going to be that in that level or is it just an anomaly that'll exist what do you think well if i could read the future um so i'm going to give you the i research. thought you said you couldn't predict the future, yeah, so I hear no, you. So, yeah. That's right. um no i mean the the jury is out actually and what we're seeing when we're looking at the research that's being done is there's actually a bit of country variation so there's some early studies from the netherlands that show sort of dramatic decline in academic outcomes or mental health outcomes mm -hmm. short term but then six months later, they seem to have recovered and they seem okay, at least for now. 
So, and they're in fact making that direct comparison to the Second World War because the Netherlands had a really tough time during the Second World War, right? And those kids were physically stunted. They didn't have nutritious food. Right. So, but then they found that that generation was able to catch up afterwards. So it's a great, it's a great kind of analogy for that. Other countries are showing different results, at least at this stage, and they're showing a decline and they're really worried about learning loss or long-term mental health effects. Right now, the jury's out. We don't know. One thing I do want to say is it's been a shock, it's been a struggle, and it's also an opportunity. So if we look 10 years from now and we say, okay, we had all this expectation that we would learn from this, that we would understand what we could improve, that we could really make some changes to kind of improve our systems. Because let's face it, what COVID has done is it hasn't really invented new problems. It's right. kind of just shone a light on what was already there, right? So we've seen the weaknesses in our system and we are committed to trying to challenge that. What I don't want this to be is a missed opportunity where 10 years from now we think, did we really meet those challenges? Hmm. Let's go back 10 years or 14 years, 2007, eight, there was a financial crisis. Yep. There was a lot of talk about transformation and yep. let's make a change and in 10 years we'll be able to do that. Have we met those goals? No, we haven't. And I don't wanna take 10 years from now, that same backward glance and think, wow, we had a lot of great ideas that came from that moment. But in fact, we're back to business as usual. Yeah. And what we have now that you didn't have in a world war necessarily, at least in the same way, is the Internet and is technology. And how do we take the technology and the access to technology that we have and really use it to drive transformational change? That'll be, I think, the legacy of COVID will be what came out of it instead of the damage. Yes, there'll be damage that COVID did, but there's going to be so much innovation, hopefully, that comes from it. What do we need to know about the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development that we didn't talk about? Anything that you want to say, website, initiatives, anything that you guys are working on? So much is going on there. A lot of, for a higher education audience, I think there's really uh, fabulous programs on higher education itself. Creativity and critical thinking I mentioned, but there's also thinking through what they actually look like, the future of higher education specifically. There's a lot of great work. I encourage people to go to the website. It will be www.oecd.org slash education. Uh, Google Education OECD and you should end up there and there's a higher education tab and you should be able to find anything your heart desires. All right. How do we connect with you, Tracy? What's the best way to connect with you and learn more about your work? Uh, website. Uh, you can Google my name, Tracy Burns at OECD, and you'll get the website. You can Google our Center for Educational Research and Innovation, and you can find me on LinkedIn. All right. Well, she is the Chief of Research Center for Educational Research and Innovation at OECD. Thank you, Tracy, Dr. Tracy Burns, for coming on the Edip Experience podcast today. You've done wonderfully Thank you. well. Thank you so much. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just ed upped.